Hello everyone, and for the first time in a month, and for the first time in 2020, welcome to the Desolation Sound podcast. My name is Stephen Hook, and if you are new here, or it's just been that long, which it kind of has been, that you've just forgotten what we do here, this is a podcast celebrating everything to do within the world of alternative music, be that rock, punk, metal, or even, even extreme metal. It is... It's been a weird existence, not having to scramble around and do one of these each and every week. Um, You would think that not having to sit down for a few hours a week to write down notes and record things would make my life less less stressful. Less stressful? Yeah, less stressful. Um, It has not, because in this time, as you may remember, I have said that I, and I have, I have followed through what I said. I have moved house, I have worked my arse off at work, and we had Christmas. New Year and all the fucking horrible things that come with Christmas and New Year, quite frankly. But we are back. Well, I say we, I, me, hello, I am back. And yeah, this week and next week. So there's a bit of an itinerary. So if you follow me on any podcast socials, such as maybe Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, at Desolation Pot, you will know that I've always started counting down um, some EPs of the year that I uh, thoroughly enjoyed. This week it is all about EPs. Next week I'll move on to non uh, rock and metal albums outside of the bubble of what I usually cover here on Desolation Sounds. Um, some of those albums do feature in the end of year list as a, as a little spoiler there, but I made it a point, I think I've said a few times, I made it a point that I wanted to start looking at more music outside the realms of shouty, screamy, malarkey sort of stuff, so I figured if I put that much effort into it, might why not put even more effort into it again and talk about it a bit more and hopefully like-minded individuals who only like screamy, shouty stuff might find that, you know, kindred spirit, something might work for them, I don't know, but I, it just gives me a chance to talk about music a little bit more, so... Check out the socials, um, I'm doing two a day, pretty much, and then I think for the top three they've got a post a day just so I can get uh, 10 plus 1 entries out throughout the 7 day period. In terms of podcast episodes, you've got this, which is part one of the album of the years, we've gone down from 20 all the way down to 11, there's a siren about to come by. There it goes. Uh, next week we'll have part two, which is ten, all the way down to one, and then the week after that, it's the big one. It is albums of the decade, which hasn't stressed me out at all. Just not the fact that well, it's all stressed me out. Quite frankly, album of the year. I'm still not convinced of my one and two for this year. I'm still not convinced of my one and two for the decade. So. That's going to be fun. Until such time though, let's start chatting about some Muzak. And we're going to start, as you would with any top 20, with number 20. It is the second album from the Philadelphia-based side project of one Dan Campbell of the Wonder Years. It is Aaron Reth... I knew I wasn't going to fucking get it right. Aaron West and the Roaring Twenties. Such a cunt. Um, the album is called Routine Maintenance and... The whole bravado of, well not bravado, sorry, the whole um, 
theme, the whole thing he's going with um, for the sound of Aaron West is away from like the emo pop punk stuff of the one year it is more still very very emo and I'll get into that a bit more but decidedly more folk now and like listen to the album I definitely think it's more towards the folk rock sort of stuff but the fact that it is like I tend to poo poo these like one man led um or one man on the guitar based projects um so you look at your things like Ed Sheeran, your Frank Turner's of the world, your Ben Howard's um, if you can see if you can go into your local Wilco's and you've got to pass a man in a hat on a guitar singing Wonderwall that I just can't fucking stand that I hate busking that says that's probably like the worst idea to have because busking like involves you, you creating like um, commerce from your craft and your hobby which is music and I should be very much in that sort of thing but I cannot stand um, busking because it always covers the same sort of songs it's always Wonderwall um, usually there's like a Boulevard of Broken Dreams or Time of Your Life kind of song in there as well uh, there's a lot of Adele being played recently that I've heard from like the 20 or so buskers we have littering Lincoln and then they tried Oh Hallelujah as well by Lynn Cohen and then they take a big pop song and acoustify it and everyone's like ah it's just so dreamy and it's just fucking shit it's so bad and I hate it felt really bad the other day well last for Christmas uh, we organised a charity thing uh, with one of our colleagues playing music and I looked him in the eye and I fucking hate it and then I shout on Alex uh, Alex Turner Frank Turner and he didn't like that but I don't care because Frank Turner can suck my dick um, so yeah Short version, I don't tend to like these projects. In fact, I would never have probably gone near Aaron Rest and the Something Somethings were it not for the fact that this is Dan Campbell from The Wonder Years. And a couple of years ago, I went really in to The Wonder Years, especially um, The Greatest Generation. Um, the album afterwards was No Close to Heaven, I think it was. Was very good. I think thought it was more emotional, but was not quite as good musically as Greatest Generation. And I quite like the Sister Cities. It's very much away from the pop punk stuff. It's more alt rocky sort of thing. It's quite more mature kind of sound. Um, so yeah, went really big into the one of the years. Eventually found out about the side project that he was part of. I love his voice. I love his um, like lyrics, how he writes songs. So I thought I'd give this a go. And there's one or two songs I've listened to from the debut album I need to go back to. I've got it on disc and I've just never sat down properly to listen to it. I've always got it on the background where it's good idle music but not enough to like grip me or that sort of thing. Uh, that might just be an indication of the album, you never know. But with routine maintenance I made a point that I want to like properly ingest it and properly listen to it and it is just fantastic. It is... I was going to say it's like so heartbreaking but at the end of the day the story of um, Aaron West and the like the life that he's had is obviously a fictional character um, I think from album one over the course of the album he wants to make a career out of his music he wants to be a traveling musician um, and in the process of it all his father passes away 
his wife miscarries their baby and then eventually leaves him and then he just sort of like drinks away his sorrows up and down the country trying to fly his trade as a musician. Um, so it's not like heartwarming stuff at all. And then when you come into um, routine maintenance, he's like picking up from that story. He his um, luck does begin to change. Uh, he like there's people at bars where he performs are singing back to his music, singing back to his music instead of him just playing the hits like um, or like Springsteen covers that sort of thing. He starts to remember his dad more and like the influence he's had in his life. Um, he in a song Rosa and Rosita. He ends up becoming good friends with people who like lodge him up and they um, like rent an apartment together and they just it's another chapter in his life. Then when things get good um, start looking the up again, his family again hit by um, tragedy, he goes back to them and then it starts everything he thought of his father is now starting to really harm down on him and now he's gotta be some kind of like parental figure. Um, for his family now he's got to start taking care of people again and the role reversal he takes the one that I think the, the narrative I've got is that he always kind of feared it he didn't want to be like the very stereotypical white man with a 2.4 kids family but when he starts going into it and realising the effect that his father had on him it becomes this whole it's a different experience to what he was expecting he actually it's, by the end of it it kind of feels like he's enjoying it and he's like almost like a coy smile on his face towards the end, the fact that he's now helping his family in this way that his father used to help the family. And it's like that, that poetic um, cycle, I guess. So the story of uh, Routine Maintenance has gripped me from song one all the way down to song 12. Usually I've got track racing up before I get up. Um, and so, like, the songs themselves, like, yeah, Rose and Rosita is like a really upbeat happy go lucky song the song I always go back to every single time is Run Toward the Light even now that is just a beautiful song um, I can't even think off the top of my head now because um, I've just got back in from work I'm fucking exhausted I cannot think off the top of my head where uh, Running Towards the Light fits in the grand scheme of um, the album's narrative but I remember I do know that the music behind it, the big, huge chorus he's got backed up by, um, what's the instrument? It's like a lot of, I don't know what it is, it's something brassy, I don't want to say trumpet because I feel like it's too easy, but backed up by this, it's such a full folk sound, like I, when I mentioned earlier, it's like a fooey one man and a folk guitar thing, and even like Frank Turney's got like standard bass and drums. On routine maintenance, there is like there's banjos, there's accordions, there's uh, I think there's a mandolin in there somewhere. There's um, harmonicas, like a sort of brass. It's such a much more well-rounded kind of sound. Uh, it's more than just the overhype street busker that I tend to associate with this kind of music. In lead paint and salt air. Again, you've got that full um, backing band. You've got all, you've got everything in there. You've got the banjo, you've got the brass, you've got everything going on. And from what I feel, folk music has become in like this pop folk era of all those bands, all those musicians before Passenger, I throw in there as well. 
it's just it's so much more it's a way more thought out sort of thing and it feels more organic as weird as it is to say like because folk music as course always can be quite like a handmade kind of music if that makes sense and folk music should feel like it's coming from the heart and with this it does and I feel like a lot of the pop stuff really really truly does not um, and I think that is Dan Dan Campbell because not only has he got this like great musical backing behind him he himself can like orchestrate and like almost conduct what kind of sound he wants the style of voice he has I think it's palm reader on No Close to Heaven he genuinely sounds like he's about to break down into tears on the chorus having that kind of emotion just in your voice can make just it just brings that extra emotion into it it's already like a tragic album because you hear about everything that's happened you kind of get like caught up as well with what's happened in the previous album like with his father and like how his life affected um Aaron West's life affected falls apart and then to have everything happen on top and Campbell like a first person narrative it's almost like a diary and it's just so brilliantly done and it's it makes me equal parts excited and horrified for a potential album 3 for um, the Aaron West project because I won't lie it's, it's a bittersweet happy ending but it's still kind of a happy ending for just for Aaron which like I've had ideas about what could happen because I feel like every album has to have some kind of tragedy and I think I know what might happen next if he does decide to do an album 3 and oh my god I don't I don't want what my head thinks is going to happen to happen I'd rather, I don't even know if I want a third album purely for the fact that like, if there's no third album he can't hurt him anymore um, but no if you do go for like a big folky kind of stuff and like me you've just it's so shit the pop folk kind of garbage that we've got fuck look this out oh, look this out yeah sure why not look this out um, it's called Routine Maintenance it is the second album by and I'm gonna try it again Aaron West and the Roaring Twenties nailed it um, and yeah that is album 20 of uh, 2019's albums of the year Moving on then to album 19, and it's just not an end of year list for me if it doesn't have something, anything Gallows related. Um, kind of Gallows related. It is Frank Hartman and Rattlesnakes, and it is End of Suffering. It is their third album from what's effectively the uh, Dean Ripson Frank Carter experience. Um, not that that's a bad thing, I think the Rattlesnakes are fucking brilliant. Um, if you are completely unaware of this kind of where they are a Watford based um, they used to be a punk rock well, like a hardcore punk band they are more like a they sit somewhere between indie and punk in the last album Modern Ruin I think I don't know I can't think where I've read this but I think with um, the previous album Modern Ruin Frank couldn't scream anymore I think he damaged his voice and so they went much more of like an alt rock direction, like much more indie sort of direction. With um, 
with End of Suffering, they've kind of like expanded on that more. There's a lot more of this indie stuff going on. There's a lot more like bigger ideas, like a touch. I was going to say Electro, but it's not right. You know, modern Queens of the Stone Age um, kind of sound. It's like uber stoner to the point where it sounds electric, but it's still not either of those things. It's more of like a, an alt rock kind of thing. If that makes sense. That's kind of where I think the sound of End of Suffering is. Um, and with that, I think End of Suffering is the album closest to what Frank has wanted to make ever since he left Gallows. Like, I think Pure Love is horrifically overlooked. Um, it is a very, very uber pop rock album. Um, it's a good album, but it's it's very much a summer album. It feels weird playing it in the winter, or even the like spring or autumn. It's purely for those like ten minutes of sun that we have in the UK summer, and it's absolutely blinding. Um, but any time of the year, it's, yeah, it's, just, it's a upbeat record, but not upbeat enough to like what shake away the blues. If that makes sense. Um, Blossom, I feel like, was created out of spite for both him and Dino. So, if I have this right, Dean Richardson was, who is the guitarist and, like, the secondary songwriter, Frank. If memory recalls, he used to be in Heights. I don't think I've got that right, actually. I think that was the drummer used to be in Heights. Just Google it. I was right. He was part of Heights. Yeah. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Blossom. May be made out of spite because Pure Love's the first song Pure Love released, um, Bury My Bones, was all about how there's no money, there's no success, or like there's nothing that comes out of singing about songs of hatred like what Gallows did a lot back in the day. Well, still do if they were still here. Not that much there. And to have a, a project like Pure Love, it was, despite being so commercially viable and should have been, you know, up there on like your Glastonbury's and Reading's, that kind of thing, it been, like I said before, it felt like it was a project that was got massively overlooked. Combine that with the fact that Richardson came out of Heights, a UK hardcore band that had such high promise, and then right when they were about to break it all sort of fell apart for them and I think I've heard they had a lot of bad luck go against them I don't know the full story but I've just heard that it had life dealt them a very cruel hand for heights and I think the debut Frank Carter out of Rattlesnake's album uh, Blossom as absolutely maddeningly brilliant as that album is I do think it was made more for because everyone questioned Frank being a rock singer, not a punk singer, and he delivered Blossom and just completely shot on everyone who thought like he can't, he doesn't have it anymore. And like I said, I think I've, I've heard, or I feel like I've read somewhere that like a vocal injury stopped him continuing on that sort of route for Modern Ruins, so it became much more of like a rock-based thing. And this partnership that he's got with Dino now, um, it's like a songwriting duo. Now that they've both got like despite out of them they've got this like new creative direction as a pairing 
this album is, and I think everything from here is going to be what Frank Carter and what Dean Richardson want to make. It's not going to be at the behest of a label or the pressures of fan bases or anything like that. It's going to be them. Like, in, like lyrically, the stories that Frankie's singing about, both good and bad, like he's got songs about um, his new partner, um, having anxiety as a like, mental illness, um, and everything in between. All those stories are now stories that he wants to sing about again, and it's it's him. He's always been quite a forward and not like a beating around the bush kind of dude, and now he's portraying that more into his music than I think I can ever recall him doing. Uh, and that the collaborative ideas that he and Dido come up with now, they they're not up there quite yet as terms of like modern rock classics that are going to live forever but they are on par with like the kind of songwriting that you get from those sort of bands if that makes sense and I think a lot of that has come to the fact that they've just done a big tour with Foo Fighters and obviously if you want big punchy punk rock uh, not punk rock sorry big punchy hard rock you do you can't do much worse than going out with Foo Fighters um, and as I said earlier I hear a lot of like modern Queens of the Stone Age in their songwriting, like you've got the fuzz of Tyrant Lizard King, um, there's almost like a glitchiness to um, Crowbar, and Angel Wings has got this like kind of slow, sexy crawl that Queens can do now. And I feel like, like I said before, they're going down this path, they're taking inspiration from like the big rock sound, they're trying to go for more what they want instead of just what other people expect them if that makes sense. I might be completely off and I'm fully aware of this but this is just what I'm taking from End of Suffering. Um, a song Anxiety is still kind of uncomfortable to listen to not because it's bad it's just because it's so fucking honest. It is, there is no beating around the bush for what he's trying to say. He's very again he's very honest he's very open he's very straightforward what he's trying to say crystal clear, brutally honest and he's, yeah, he's just pouring his heart into the song and it's kind of daunting to hear this sort of thing, just especially on headphones, because that's all you, all you hear the outside world, just this man pouring out his frustrations and his upsettedness of having anxiety and, you know, again it's a different kind of world now where um talks like this aren't as scary but you know it doesn't make it easy to listen to if that makes sense um, I think the confidence that now sorry the, the confidence that Frank and Dino now have in terms of songwriters can only go can only get better for them for the Rattlesnakes it is a case of now they've got the mindset on what sort of music they want to do and they've got like the right writing style and the right collaboration for it it's now I'm not just looking forward to each new album because it's a new Frank Carter album I'm now looking forward to each new album purely because on each new release purely because I'm genuinely intrigued to find out what those two as a pairing can do and how I would love 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 for like the next album 
to break out and then that is the Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes album that becomes you know like BBC One like mainstream telly and mainstream radio and that kind of thing because I feel like as power poppy as hard rock it would be it would still have that edge of Frank and Dino from Blossom and yeah in terms of being a phenomenal album it's been it's not one I've gone to gone back to much as a whole hence why it's like a lot further down but the individual songs like Tyrant Lizard King, um, King like Crowbar um, oh fuck there's one more song that I've completely forgotten oh I read the tabs for it the other day I'll back it off Kitty Sucker there we go Kitty Sucker as well um, songs like that they are just easy hard rock songs to go out your day the same way a lot of people listen to Foo Fighters so I can't see why they can't break that wall so to speak and yeah there you go uh, album number three from Frank Carr and the Rattlesnakes is called The End of Suffering and as we move on man he's up 25 minutes in I've only just done two fuck's sake uh, going on to album 18 now and Potentially the maddest thing I've listened to this year. It is Car Bomb with the fourth album, Mordial. Uh, they're from Long Island in New York City. No, not. They're from Long Island in New York. New York is also a state. Um, and they are... The simplest way I could describe them is mathcore. But the way I describe this to a friend of mine um, at work is Imagine Meshuggah played by Dinger Escape Plan. And I got what I feel is the only acceptable response to that description, which was, oh my fucking god, what? Um, the sound of Car Bomb is fucking maddening. Um, it is dirty, heavy riffs, chopped and changed breakneck speed, um, with a level of guitar creativity that I I can't I've put rarely seen since, but I can't think of another guitarist as I was writing this in the month I've been doing like curating this and sitting here now. Guitar creativity I haven't seen since Tom Morello. The way he would um, add those weird and wonderful sound effects just using like a kill switch or a whammy bar or whatever, or just like standing too close to his amplifier. It is just that what he can do is um greg kubaki i hope it's not kubachki i'm pretty sure it's kubaki the sounds and effects that he can make is just insane he's got a song that sounds like laser beams like the bot like the dives he have it's just thunderous they feel like they're coming into your soul um and he doesn't just use them to show them off um they have a purpose they add something to the song Unlike what, like that's what I think that's always been my problem with a lot of gent bands. They have this like really cool sound effect on their guitar. They can do all these wonderful things, but they just do it for the sake of doing it. Um, Kubaki, in the same way as Tom Morello did, they do it to amplify songs. They do it to make songs sound and feel cooler and better and much more memorable. And like. I've tried to like listen to a lot more ma uh, mathcore this year. There was an album called Fallen Limbs to listen to, which I couldn't get into. Um, that Vonis album, I really couldn't get into. But I can't, and I can't tell you why it is Mordial stuck out to me more than anything else. It might just be like the sheer intrigue of even now. I'll, 
press play on it and then I like I'm sat there like I generally can't remember what's going to happen next and I don't I can't even predict what's going to happen next I don't know what riff's going to come out I don't know if it's going to be a break I don't know if it's going to be another laser beam at me um, it stretches that label math core so much that goes my heating um, I haven't lost heat I'm not I'm kind of poor but that's just it's on a timer shut up um, the whole idea of it being mathcore, it stretches it so much you've got like a lot of melody and a lot of groove in Black and Battery which feels like the most extreme Metallica tribute band that there's ever been and like I said the other like mathcore bands I try to listen to like Seizures, Destrage, Destrage sorry, um, even the Ithaca album everyone was raving about the Ithaca album and I thought it was okay it's not a bad album at all it fucking, it's a heavy really crushing album but it's just I switch it off and like I can't it doesn't stay with me in the same way that Mordial did and it might just be that I'm a child and I hear Lazy Beams and like holy shit that's really cool but when I've been looking like thinking back to all the reviews I've done this year the word that keeps popping back out of me is that I've probably used so much overtly amount to be honest um, is the word cathartic and no singular album describes or encapsulates cathartic from 2019 more than mordial and i feel like there are heavier albums to come but out of all of them nothing makes you want to swing limbs and headbutt walls more than like dissect yourself which is a song full of laser beams you've got um shattered sprites which is just this weird reverb riff that keeps going on and on it's fucking insane you've got eyesight which is just like just does away with like a lot of the mathy stuff and just goes why don't we just make a massive fuck off great big thrash metal song and that's what they do they just again completely go against the grain of like i guess traditional math cores after that sentence is but they do it in such a way where not only are you intrigued but it hypes you at the same time and I, again probably definitely saying but I think this is just I'm just trying to think is it creative it's up there there's much there's it's certainly much more creative than a lot of the albums I've got from here on but my goodness it is just insane if you just like music to be angry at or be angry with Mordial is your guy is album four from the New York based hardcore, uh, mathcore, excuse me, uh, four piece, four piece, uh, car bomb. Do give it a listen, it's fucking insane. It's heavy as shit as well. May, if you if you think Aaron, if you go for Aaron West first, you're gonna be in surprise when you get to car bomb. Just, just warning you, right? Uh, <laughs> album 17 is potentially my biggest surprise no yeah I genuinely do think it's the biggest surprise on here it is that album that done everyone has been talking about it is Tool it is Fear Inoculum it is their fifth album it is the first in 14 years 13 what was the last one 2006 wasn't it the first album in 13 years um, obviously, I think everyone knows Tool by now. California-based 
and a massive art metal, prog metal, it's hard to kind of define them, sort of metal. I wanted so badly, I tried so hard not to have this in my top 20 because I feel like in Tool it encapsulates everything I don't like in alternative music. Like, I am not a prog man in any way. You know, every time I listen to prog music, about 90% of the bands that I listen to that can be labelled as prog, it's with something else. Um, like Mastodon, for example, they're progressive metal with Sludge. Um, the Mordial album, oh, the, the Carbomb album, sorry, it's mathy prog, but it's got a shit ton of hardcore, and even shitter ton of um, heavy metal in there. I'm not a prog man at all. I hate songs that go for eight minutes and just shows you what they learned in musical theory at school. I also detest overhyped albums, and that's the hipster in me. I'm fully aware it's such a shit character trick to have, but I, the idea of people going on and on and on and on and on and on, and on about an album that hasn't even come out yet just drives me up the bend. If anything for that matter, I almost boycotted Avengers when that came out, but that's because of other reasons. And I don't feel like I quite get tool enough yet to be able to have an opinion. And that, that whole mindset pisses me off because why should I have to listen to an entire back catalogue of a band just to listen to the new album which has no precedence? If it was like it's been telling a story for four albums and this is the like, climactic final chapter, I could get it. But it's just another collection of songs. It's just, well, I think it's nine more songs in the standard version. Either way, it is X amount of songs that's also been written by the same band who wrote those, who wrote those other bands. Oh, ah, fucking hell. Who wrote those other albums. And I tried to sit there and think about all the things about Fear and Oculum that I did not like, but what I ended up doing was thinking about all the things of Fear and Oculum that I did like. And the longer I sat there, the more I realised that there's a lot of Fear and Oculum, even if it's a little bit here and there, it all kept adding up to just a whole thing. And, you know, quite right, I say a lot how I take one or two songs from each album and just you know, having a playlist whenever I walk to work or whatever. You can't do this for Fear Inoculum, but at the same time, if I press play on that track one, I don't mind sitting there or having it on for the next hour and a half, which baffles me because I, I don't tend to listen to music that way. You know, I think about the chorus of the title track. Um, I think about the build in Numa, um, the drum roll, the fucking drumming from Danny Carey across this album is fucking outrageously good and it's not to the point of like say um, Portnoy who just fucking faps himself silly on the drum kit it feels necessary for these drum parts it feels like he's putting it together again for a reason that benefits the band not just to make him look good and yeah, I'll just I 
would sit here a lot, well, not here because I haven't been here very long, but I'll sit places and just try and think, and I like, it's just such a hub of creativity, and it's so, I've having just, I literally just said the Carbon was the most creative album, haven't I? I still say Carbon's more creative, but that's a story for a different day. Doesn't mean it can't be, that still can't be creative. Everything that's in the album, like, uh, Tempest or Seven Empest, whatever you want to be pedantic about. That whole song is insane. It is just bafflingly good. And how dare it be that good? And I think in the end, the reason why Fear Inoculum became or went into my top twenty in a while, like kept it in, and I've just, I could have just said, you know, fuck it, throw that away and put everything up a slot I think the reason why I kept Fear Inoculum in is because of how much it is against everything I tend to listen to in music it is fiddly look how much music theory I know in, in parts it is music where you've got to stop and sit down and listen to it fully take in, take in everything it is a stupidly long album it almost feels like it's being designed and released just to annoy me. It is all these things, and yet I fucking love it for it, for all those exact reasons. It is just a weird existence for an album for me. And like, I even enjoyed Chocolate Chip Trip, which is like a two minute, or X amount of minute, um, drum solo. I like a drum solo on a fucking tall record. What a fucking loser I am. I don't, I don't get what, I, I don't know why I don't, well, well, what's the line, I fucked up the quote already, but. Oh, I don't know how to leave you. That would be really funny if I got the line right, but never mind. Um, but yeah, it is just, it's bafflingly good, and it baffles me, and I hate that, I hate being baffled. Um, but it still is my number 17. It is Fear Inoculum by Tool, Probably the last Tool album we'll ever get, just saying. I've just gone this entire way through realising that the fucking microphone I've been speaking into is not the one that I've got in my hand. It's because I don't have my actual setup done properly. I've quietened my down quite a bit because it looked like I was clipping. Um, round numbers. How's that? That's better. That nah, looks better. Um, yeah, so I've just been talking into my webcam microphone, so I might have sounded shit. Hopefully I won't do now. Uh, either way, we're moving on to... Oh, I scratched my nose as I did that. I probably shouldn't have done that. Number 16! It is Advice. It is by the al- by the album? By the band Hawkeyes. They're from Leeds. This is album four for them. They play, among other things, eh, just probably easy to scope them down as um, alt metal for the sake of ease. Um, this is their return album after a four-year break. I'm also going to turn... Nah, that'll be alright. Four-year break since um, everything is fine. Which, everything wasn't fine. Everything was bloody great. I love Hawkeyes. Um, they are... Well, they're, they're a kind of a special band. I don't know if that's just to me. I feel like it's in the greater universe they have a special band. But when they first came to prominence on Ideas... It was around the time of 
the UK scene becoming so full and vibrant of really exciting rock and metal acts that just didn't last for whatever reason. Um, you look at, I mentioned them earlier actually, Heights, The Defiled, um, oh, fuck it out, uh, Feed the Rhino. I'll even throw Exit 10 in there because I really love Exit 10. They were just... Uh, uh, I was going to say Silosis, but they recovered because um, their initial vocalist left them, but then Josh Mullen took over, and they've done quite well, so that will throw them in there. Just oh, of that time, there was so much exciting things happening for the UK metal scene. That was when I was first getting into music properly. And so it was all like super exciting for me, and then slowly, one by one, everyone is just fallen and it's fucking tragic and Hawkeyes are one of the few that I can oh, the one I can't remember the one that I can remember now that never said they were gone but they just went very quiet very quickly and you know I, I, as much there wasn't anything that said on hiatus or on a break or split up or whatever I didn't think we would ever get another Hawkeyes album to follow on from Everything Is Fine we had the EP which is, is it, it is what it is something like that um, but yeah I just thought Hawkeyes are the curse of like the early 2010s I guess um, and then all of a sudden, there was updates on their social medias, little changes here and there. Um, and then we had, like, songs started coming out, songs started appearing, and um, event posts for new shows started appearing, and we were getting Hawkeyes back. And I was fucking excited. And here we are now, and we've got advice. And the Hawkeyes to me are like the, the metal version of Jamie Lenman where they are not one kind of music they are a broad spectrum of music they you know in on ideas they played around with sludge stoner mathcore um all the way down to like hard rock and alt metal and that sort of thing and they turned down a lot like the really erratic stuff for um, everything is fine and even further down again for advice and it is much more of a very broad alt metal kind of sound where in the like kind of vein is how Jamie Lenman has just taken anything he's ever liked and just started doing it because why the fuck not um, and what makes it like kind of baffling is in the grand scheme of things Advice is probably, I, I don't like using the word was, but it's probably like the least strongest Hawkeyes album. And it is still full of absolute top tip belters. You've got um, Hand in My Heart Cage, you've got Royal Trouble, you've got Perfect Again, you've got fucking, oh my god, you've got fucking Never Lead Me. Oh, that song is so good. The amount of times I've had Hawkeyes on a shuffle in that big playlist of mine and I'll get to like Royal Trouble or State of Opposition or anything like that and I'm like 
I've got to go back. I've I've got to listen to Never Leave Me. It is one of their best songs. It is so, so fucking good. Um, I just, I cannot. It's fucking brilliant. I love that song so much. And it is, again, like I said, it's probably their best song on this album. It is on par with what they've done on Ideas. It is on par with, like, their stronger, like, spoilers that like the end of decade considerations I'll just say considerations because that leaves vain enough if they're in or, in or out or not um, and yeah the way that they st- again it's probably the most, most streamlined rock album they've done but you still got the times where it's like suspenseful um, like, oh, not suspenseful just like general drama and like energy to it all while still being like well written um, it's hard to tell if Paul Astic is a lyrical genius or a complete fucking nutter because most of his lyrics are just inane madness um, I can't remember is it Royal Trouble I think it is he goes on about one thing and then it's like and then the next lyric is your work will be reflected on this test and then starts talking about something else you fucking what is happening it's just it's fucking it's hard to take in those kind of lyrics because they are just they're no longer you know like a traditional sense of a song telling a story or telling the listener anything it's literally just an extra instrument for which to gravitate a beat or to gravitate a rhythm excuse me um and I still I've often wondered if I like Ryan Clark's bass playing purely for the fact that it, it, the mix that Hawkeyes have it just always seems to go through or if I genuinely think he's a great bassist I genuinely think now he's just so good because okay yeah you, he's probably one of the few bassists that I actually get a chance to be heard on an album but there's times where I'm just enthralled by it I cannot put my finger on what it is I, I don't no one tends to like pay attention too much to the bassist but I fucking love his bass playing it's just the way it carries songs and how it can have it's just, it just sometimes sounds like he's having his own little party at the background and then comes in to join with the rest of the band when he's needed on the chorus I fucking love Hawkeyes I, it might be a bit of road in the glasses that I wanted to talk about them a bit more and that's why they're in top 10 but my god listen to Hawkeyes like I'd say advice is probably your best way of getting into Hawkeyes um, everything is fine I always thought it was a little bit darker and then get to ideas and you are in for one of the best albums you will ever hear in your life um, but yeah work backwards start with advice the fourth album from Hawkeyes and you will be you, you'll be a better man and all woman for it it was just it would just fix things it will fix parliament it will fix the government Probably won't actually, but it, it might make your day. Who knows? All right then. Uh, a dramatic pause was because we're on to number fifteen, Ovs. and it's the album that I think I can. I've struggled to talk about or write down notes for more than any other album, 
And I'll get to a little in a bit. It is Celebrity Mansions. It is the fourth album, again, from a Leeds band, again, but this time called Dinosaur Pileup. And they have an amalgam of, well, their sound, sorry, it's an amalgam of indie rock, grunge, punk, all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Um, I was initially pushed on to Dinosaur Pileup by an illustrator friend of mine whom, upon first meeting, and I've known her now for... About two, three years. And outwardly, she would not strike you as a sort of person who would be way into this sort of thing. And then when she... like, she could, it, We did an OG, fam. She lent me her CD copy that she had of the album. That's how we do. She lent me the CD and... Just sort of, as she handed it over, I was like, oh, I will warn you though, it is it is quite punky. And as I stood there, probably wearing some kind of death metal t-shirt and black jeans and being known for being a giant, great big emo. And I put it on and every song that passed, I thought I knew what kind of album I was getting myself into. Like, um, track one, Broken Heart Loser. Mm. I've got the track list in front of me now. It wasn't Broken Heart Loop Punk. It was um, Thrash Metal Cassette. On Thrash Metal Cassette, you think, well, at least I did, it's going to be some like very thrash-influenced punk rock, maybe even like a crossover kind of album. And then you get to Backfoot, which is way more rapcore, and it's like actually kind of a bit daft. And then you get to Stupid Heavy Metal, Broken Heart Loser Punk. Nailed it. Which is, you know, a bit more of a straightforward punk rock kind of thing. And then you get the the title track, um, number four. And all of a sudden, it's a bit more grungy. And it's like every song that goes by, you've got something completely different. It's a completely new album, or you think it's going to be. It is horrendously good, this. And this is why I had such a difficult time trying to drum up notes or anything to talk about for Celebrity Mansions. Purely because it's just good. It's just fucking brilliant. There's no technicality there's no intricate like guitar lines there's no philosophical message every other word it is just straightforward rock and or punk and roll or whatever you want to call it played by a group of lads who just sound like they're having fun it is the energy and the feeling of we're doing what we want or we're doing what we like because we can to the point where it almost feels like a debut like not in a bad kind of way, but purely like the ke- the um, the carefree nature of it, the thing where we're so excited that we can actually make our album now. It's massive party punks, that kind of stuff, and yeah, this is this is what I was on about. I sat there thinking about it. It's like it's just fucking. It's daft. You've got songs about just you. Thrash metal cassette is literally just him going on a drive, like singing about going for a drive and listening to thrash metal. You know, is it um, K West? Fuck what a song. K West, he's got like some weird bro man dude ship with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It's fucking stupid. It's fucking great though. I love it. It's so good. And yeah, it's, this is all I've got to say about it apart from the. It's just dopey mad fun and I fucking love it it's Celebrity Mansions by Dinosaur Pileup 
I don't know how else to describe it. Just listen to it. I bought it for like a fiver from HMV. Just fucking do it, you shit. And with that, it's time to go the opposite end of the spectrum. And going to talk about a... Uh, I thought the Aaron West album was an emotional turmoil of an album. Boy, that shit ain't seen nothing until you get to Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds with, staggeringly, their 17th album. How have I never took the time to listen to Nick Cave? He's got so much to give. He is... So, the album is called Ghost Scene. If you're unaware of who Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds are, um, obviously, led by our boy, our boy Nick Cave. And he's always been... What's the best way to describe him? Throughout, he's always been like the hipster's choice for greatest ever rock star. I've never really seen him break through massively into like a mainstream audience. He might be huge. I wouldn't be surprised if he's huge in Australia. But over here in Blighty, I never. He was a name that I heard a lot, but never his music. If that makes sense. And he's always been, um, like an arty alternative rock kind of guy and a lot of people will listen to his music without realising he does the theme song for, he's done a lot of songs actually for Peaky Blinders that Red Right Hand song, that's him that's Nick Cave and the Bad Scenes, that's a song from their, I think it was 97 album but that's just plucking numbers off my arse um, but in Ghosting he has gone like he's gone much, he's gone far away from that arty alt rock sort of thing, so it's Ghosting is part three of a trilogy. Um, it started in 2013 with Push the Sky Away, and then followed up in 2016 with Skeleton Tree, and then, like I said, Ghosting is part three. And in Push the Sky Away, it is a classic Nick Cave kind of sound, you know, the very artsy, um, alt rock sort of stuff, and very like punchy kind of music. Um, in Skeleton Tree. There's influences and little, like, I guess collaborations with ambient music. And then in Ghosting, it is all the way an ambient sound for the album. And so as if, like, the music of the album wasn't heavy enough in, like, a different sense. Because ambient, I always, well, now... From this year, listen to a lot of like post rock and post metal sort of stuff. The right kind of ambient music can make something either sound well, ambient music, sorry, can make something sound if it's done right, hugely dramatic and like just so heavy in emotions, or it can make something just like background music as you're doing coursework or something. Musically, this is the heavy on the heart and like heavy on your shoulders kind of music what makes it even more powerful is during the last stages of the writing process for Skeleton Tree Nick Cave's son died in an accident I think in Brighton 
and so I think there's one or two songs on Skeleton Tree that allude to it. Ghosting is the first full release where he directly acknowledges it. And with the context of what Nick Cave is going through combined with how how good a musician and how good a like writer that he is to make something like this this album is a different kind of heavy altogether it is it is upsetting at time well a lot it is upsetting so often to the point where you feel uncomfortable listening to it because of what it is that he's like singing about and what he's talking about even take a song like the opening track um, is a song called Spinning Song and Nick Cave is known for being like a massive Elvis fan and Spinning Song is an ode to Elvis Presley but his vocal style like a crooning kind of way that he sings and like the chorus or like part of the lyrics sorry are um, peace will come um, peace will come in time and time will come time will come in time and you're just there like this is it's not about like like the whole album isn't just about his son but uh, you, you feel like even the times where it's not about his son and grief and mourning and that kind of thing you, it still feels like it is and again I don't know if that's just because I knew the context of the album before I started listening to it or it's just how good a songwriter Nick Cave is but it is I just I don't know I don't listen to this kind of music that often for this exact reason I just don't know how to process a man who has lost he's felt lost in a way that hopefully no one will ever have to go through and as like a an artist and as a musician he's done what many others have done and he's just like thrown himself into his work <coughs> excuse me and the result of that is the album before us um waiting for you is still a beautiful song and he will like sing the verses just almost strained of how he's just trying to put everything he can while still retaining this like ambient you can feel like the his throat warble almost it is unfathomably good unfathomably unfathomably good um and like you've got a song like it the whole idea of like death and mourning that sort of thing he doesn't just take from you know um heaven hell and all these sort of thing you've got i think it's in sun forest where he talks about um i think it's a buddhist uh story of death where you get taken up by the carrier into the sun and you've got the title track where it's got a fucking beautiful chorus and then it's a, a part of the lyrics is three bears as a family, and they all this says they all sit down to watch TV, 
and the papa bear just sits there the mama bear just floats around and then the sun the sun is gone like the child is gone so it's like fucking hell it's just it's unworldly how good it is and how painfully sad it is because like coming up in a little bit I've got another I've got two very very sad albums one after another but the difference is what makes this one like more encroaching on your emotions is whereas like the reason I prefer the other one is because it's got like the metal part of it that I go for in like in music this at times just feels like it's just a man sat there talking about the loss of his boy and it's yeah what how what do you how do you process that what do you do with this information Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds is something of like so at the moment it is a missed opportunity to finding some fantastic music because everyone who talks about them just says how great this band are and how great musician Nick Cave is and he's got a collaborator as well I cannot I think no I'm not going to try and like guess his name but he's got a collaborator in as well they've worked together for years and that's how they similar to what I was saying in Frank Carr and Dean Richardson both in the grander scale this is how they've maintained such a good sound over the years is because these two working together Nick Cave and the Bad Seas is just a treasure trove that I need to explore and the fact that I started with Ghosting yeah it's just for music alone it is worth listening to because it is powerful ambient music which is for me every time I've tried to listen to ambient music it is rare it is rare to find ambient music that connects with you lyrically if you are of the persuasion where you like emotional songs and you like um, like devout raw emotion in your music give this a fucking go because you will not there will not be a dry high if you listen to this absolutely not I was I just it was odd feeling that I've never I can't think of a time I've ever welled up to music that didn't connect like didn't relate to me like I've had songs where um, you know traditional you sing you're hearing a song about so for example I can't listen to the song um, White Sparrows by Billy Talent because it was one of the first songs I listened to after I had my own um, what's the word own grievement in oh own bereavement sorry in my family and now I can't listen to that song without thinking about it I think Ghosting is the first album a whole piece of music where I found myself genuinely feeling like I was going to cry just because of what I was listening to like just as a whole piece of music it is unreal and I don't know if I'm giving it the bet like a sell or like a miss but it is what it is it is Ghosting it is by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. It's staggeringly their seventeenth album, and yeah, and it's it's not getting any cheerier because now we're going to go to a band called Swallow the Sun, and the album is called When a Shadow Is Forced Into the Light. This is their seventh album, and they are a Finnish 
death doom um, ensemble, if you will. And to get the emotional part of the way, the album is written in direct reference to the passing of Elias Stanbridge, who was the partner of Swallow the Sun guitarist Yuha Rivio. And I'm gonna, actually, I should have pretenses. There's a lot of Finnish names in here that I'm going to butcher, and I apologize, but I'm going to try my best. Um, Elias passed away in 2016 to cancer. And this has been Yuha's, I think, second, second or third um, writing process since it happened. Um, I think he's finished off Aaliyah's solo album. He then, he's got a second band that he did in between Swallow the Sun, album, uh, Swallow the Sun albums and now he's back with Swallow the Sun and... Oh boy, there's plenty of emotions. Um, the way it swells and the way it builds musically seem much more in common with, say, gothic metal, even like post-metal. Um, it's not crescendo core, as I've heard um, Renfrey Deadman word it, which I think is a fucking great way of re- um, referring to certain types of post-music. Um, on the... Um, title track for example is very idyllic very calming on the um, verses and then it is a huge swell into the chorus and then that continues into the post-chorus and because these are as much as they are like death doomy sort of songs they do still have like multiple iterations of verses and choruses so it does like peak and trough and musically it is synthlating it's fucking beautiful what they've done and I've never really gone in on I don't really go on Doom Metal at all and the only other Death Doom band I've listened to was um, I think it was Asphyx Asphyx something like that and they were definitely a much more like crunchier death metal kind of thing as opposed to more this epic Doom kind of music Um, vocalist Miku Kotomaki his clean vocals he's got this beautiful almost mournful voice a voice that turns so sinister and it's almost black metal like um, when he shrieks. Uh, it is, and what the rest of the band do so well is the fact that they distort the emotion of music to match the vocals. And what about take um, Firelights, for example? It is very, very solemn, very, very soft on Kotomaki's cleans. Um, their new um, keyboard is Yanni. Um, Pew-hoo. Pew-hoo? Pew-hoo. Um, or Puhu. We'll go with Pew-hoo. Sounds funner. Um, the new keyboard is Yanni. Has some like really, really brilliant like ghostly backing vocals. Almost sound like ASMR whispers. And then when Kotomaki, his, uh, his voice turns and he becomes a bit more of a harsh vocalist. He starts screaming or growling or whatever. The chord progressions on Firelight is are so much more hostile. And you've got double kick drums as well. You've got the slow snare and crash rhythm, like you almost as if you're in the middle of a massive breakdown. It is the way they complement the vocals and how they like work together to create this very. Um, I was going to say like mournful again, but I keep butchering. I keep using that word but you 
you know, we know what it is. It almost feels like a heavy metal funeral barrage. Um, and lyrically, it is. It still is very grief and very death heavy. And you know, there's this is a band like linked with doom metal and death metal. It's always going to be that semblance. And from what I've read, Swallow the Sun have been a band who have sung about death and mortality and afterlife and that sort of thing a lot. But now with the context of Aaliyah, much like Ghosting, it is so much more profound. And it it just seems to resonate a lot more. And like lyrically, they do make... Um, there's references to mythologies. Like you've, there's a overarching thing of like walking towards some kind of light. Um, there's reactions. That the react, sorry, not reactions. There's references to Aaliyah herself. Um, there's a couple of lines I've got. The April skies singing songs of goodbye, farewell tonight, leaving the tide. Um, like Aaliyah passed away in April of 2016. Um, and there's also, but there are no goodbyes, just light between the stars. You've also got... It's just a general feeling of mourning throughout the album. It's too late to dream again of tomorrow without the dark that will remain within me. That one the really, really stuck out for me. Because, well, it's just everything's there. It's it Again, it's too late to dream again of tomorrow without the dark that will re- remain within me. I think... I always feel bad for saying that's such a belter of a line purely because of what it is that he's singing about and what it, and that, the context of which it is written. And it's just... Yeah, I always feel bad for these kind of... Like, not, ah, that's the wrong word, isn't it? I, it feels weird comes to these albums because you're saying that, wow, yeah, it's really good because it sounds dark and menacing. This feels like his heart's on his sleeve and it feels like, oh, they just about to like break down and then you think about it it's like well it kind of is because this is this happened this is his like um Yuha lost his life partner nick cave lost his son it's like it feels weird praising and like even architects everyone lauded over holy hell and it feels weird to lord it that much because he like a big part a big part of why it was written was a cathartic release to the tragedy that they just had. You know what? I hope I'm getting that out how it is in my head. It's just a difficult one to consider. Um, but When a Shadow is Forced into the Light by Swallow the Sun is album 13 of 2019. It is, on its own, it is a just an insanely good album and the song that I always go back to Stone Wings that was oh my god Stone Wings again it's um, there's two there's Stone Wings and another one which I always um, have on shuffle and they always go back to and blah 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 and when I said before about how it's very like post metal influenced and how it's very um, like almost got like gothic rock or gothic metal, like big swells, but it's not quite to the extent of um, crescendo core. Um, Upon the wall, that was the other one. When it peaks, it is just insane. That's why this post rock movement has so exploded so much past couple of years, because it is the drama of like a big cinematic release. As well as a huge crushing riff. Uh, 
and yeah it's been long mentioned that like orchestral music or symphonic music or classical music and um, heavy metal are essentially long distance cousins look at like S&M and anything Cliff Burton used to do but context like this it's just it's yeah it just reiterates the point it's fucking brilliant together but that is Swallow the Sun number 13 Swallow the Sun that is um, when a shadow is forced into the light we're on to number 12 now and I'm really glad that yeah, my throat's starting to hurt and we're also going to be a little only a little bit more uplifting because we're it's still emo. Album number 12 is Tiny Moving Parts with their seventh. I cannot fucking believe this. Be seven albums in. Seventh album from Tiny Moving Parts, the Benson, Minnesota based emo mathcore outfit, and it's called Breathe. Um, I discovered Tiny Moving Parts early 2018 on their album Swell. Um, and I just thought it was the maddest thing I li- ever listened to at that point. I've listened to Mathcore, I've listened to um, like that really what's um, which class? Fall of Troy or whatever, whatever Fall of Troy are that ilk of like mathy post-hardcore McGubbins and it wasn't massively for me that sort of thing and browsing through Bandcamp and I found something called Twinkly Emo and I thought fucking gotta give this a go and that's how I found Swell, and it was, it was just, just I, again, I just don't know. It was brilliant. I feel like I need to get more words than fantastic and brilliant. But even now, I can go back to songs like Malfunction and Applause, and it does, it does, it does the thing. It doesn't just have like twiddly bits for the sake of twiddly bits. It has twiddly bits that like add an extra layer and add some rhythm and some uniqueness to the music and I think of the with Swell like looking back on it even before I, I Breathe completely crept up on me I had no idea this album was coming out um, I always felt Swell there was something about it I could not put my finger on it looking back now I realise that it is a lot more post-hardcore-y um, and it feels more serious, especially when you compare it to Breathe, because Breathe has a lot more like punk rock and pop punk in there. And Breathe just feels much more relaxed as a whole. And you've got much, you've got more actual songs. Instead of like having a whole album is one piece of music, you've got way more that you can just like pick and choose from. You know, you've got songs like um, Soft Spot, which is just. Mm. Oh come on, come back! You got soft spot. You've got um, light bulb. You've got the Midwest sky. It's just—it's almost like a greatest hits of like the massy, massy, mathy, uh, ma- fucking hell, mathy emo. There we go, mathy um, pop punk. That's the word. The guitar work from Dylan Matheson is just unreal. I saw. Just before the album came out, and I was like more aware of it, people were referring to Tiny Movie Parts not as like Twinkly Emo anymore. It is more like Shred Emo. And the kind of lines, um, or the kind of licks that he can do, it's not a million miles away. I think the sort of guitar lines he can do while still continuing to make, A, as he still continues to sing, but B, continue to make something that's like very accessible, very pop punky, very um, light and easy is just unreal. 
it is astounding what that man can do. And, like, musically, it does end up becoming fucking incredible. And the one thing I noticed from Breathe that's different to Swell is that there is a lot more experimentation on this album. You've got you've got little electronics on Icicles. You've got little um, pop jingles in Soft Spot and Hallmark. Soft Spot is just a massive fucking bop. It is 100% certified bop. And it's, oh, it's almost said brilliant again, but I'm not going to. And then you've got a um, banjo on Vertebrae. Which again, another fucking bop. And like the confidence to do this, it does feel like a much, I don't know if it's more confidence or much more relaxed feel to breathe. But whatever it is, it's got it in spades. They just feel, it feels more natural. And it feels, it's still not happy album because at the end of the day it is emo. And if you go into the lyrics, you realise it's about, um, I think it's Dylan Matheson has got like a fear, not like a fear of death, but he's uncomfortable with the idea of death and mortality and that sort of thing because like of what happens next and that kind of thing. So when you take apart the lyrics, you realise the sort of things that he's talking about and his new inevitable like reference to relationships and that sort of thing as well. And the hometown, Benson gets name dropped a couple of times. But as like a well, as a round piece of music and as an album, Compared to the only other, like, well, the only comparison I have for Tiny Moving Parts, which is Swell. Swell felt like they, it was more trying. They were actively trying to be this, like, raging, um, mathy, emo, post-hardcore outfit. Whereas with Breathe, they, it's almost like what they've done on the tin. They've just taken a big breath in and gone, you know what, why don't we just do it? Which is the worst way I think I've ever analysed an album. And I am an amateur podcaster. So you know I've said some absolute bollocks in my time. Um, But Tiny Moving Parts, it's... I'm running out of adjectives. It's been such a long day at work. (laughs) Fuck you. I've got to go back outside in like less than an hour. I also haven't eaten. I should probably eat something. Anyway, I'm getting distracted from this Probably from this headache, actually. I should probably eat some food. Number 12 is Breathe by Tony Moving Parts. A fantastically good album. Um, Don't let the mathy, like, adjectives that I've been using, anything that's like mathy or proggy or anything like that, don't let that scare you away from this album. It is so much more, like, pop punky and punky, and it's just a great time. It's... I can't. Can it be summer so I can listen to this? Because I think that will be the best thing. I think that'll be the best thing for everyone. Uh, oh, speaking of summer albums, when I started the tool review or the tool segment, um, I took a brief pause because I thought I can't think of any other album that I was not expecting to have on this list more than the tool album. The reason why I took the pause is because of this album. Because this is a debut pop-punk album from Cardiff. And the last time I think we had something like that, was it the blackout that we had? Or is it one of You Me at Six or Kids in Glass Houses Welsh? Suffice to say, pop-punk from Wales has not been kind to us. So, when I found... 
an album called Beautiful Life by a band called Junior, I wasn't expecting a lot. And the reason why I found the band Junior in the first place is because it is the um, the musical output of one Mark Andrews, who is better known as Mark Andrews of the WWE. Actually, he's part of a lot. He's part of WWE, NXT UK, um, Progress. I think he's done ICW a couple of times. He's just a man who likes to get around. And he's one of them wrestling boys, which I... Wrestling men. Wrestling men. That I quite like to watch and stuff. Because he does lots of flippy shit too. And, like, the grand scheme of things... Wrestler-related bands are... We'll, we'll be kind. We'll say they're a bit hit and miss. Um, obviously, the most prominent example is Fozzie of Chris Jericho fame. And they have some good songs. They have quite a lot of shit ones, too. You've got Ultramantis Black, which is average. And admittedly, you do also have Every Time I Die Now. But he was a musician first, and he was a wrestler. If anything, he's gone the opposite way, now that I think about it. Whereas, like, a lot of um, wrestlers take the hand of music and it's very hit and miss um, from being brilliant wrestlers or Ultramantis Black, you've got um, Andy from Every Time I Die, Every Time I Die, a fucking brilliant band, The Butcher in AEW, apparently quite hit and miss right now. So, it's very hard to do both, I think is what I've come to realise. And... And then I put this on, and... It's... To call it pop-punk is a massive disservice. It is a gorgeous mix of... It does have pop-punk in there, but it's also pop-rock. It's also alt-rock. It's the touch of emo. The delicate touch. That's been heating back on again. And it's all with the most fantastic production that I can think of why more bands from that shitty end of um, like the late 2000s where pop punk was well like pop rock was fucking everywhere why they didn't get like a production job like this was I've never know but oh my god this is just fan it's incredible it's in I hate uh, oh Words fail me because it's just breathtaking. This album is um, "Baby Blue" sounds ten times a song that it has any right to sound like. Um, "Brick by Brick" puts those like late two thousands, early twenty tens wave of like pop punk, or sorry, pop rock, post hardcore bands to absolute shame. I'm looking at, I'm looking at you, Mallory Knox, who just broke up, and Kids in Glass Houses who have broke up. And Blitz Kids, who have also broken up. This is why you broke up, because you don't sound like Junior. You've got PYD as well, which is um, Mandrew's ode to his professional wrestling career, which the music video for that, seeing all the stars from like what's made up his career, from Progress, from PWG, from WWE, um, IC Dub, everything in between Preston City, I imagine, as well. And the way... I don't know if it's, if they, each and everyone has had like a significant impact, but the way it just it does extend every corner of his wrestling career to where he is now, I think it's 
really really well done in that respect and yeah like the lyrics of P- um, PYD as well just like I think it starts where it started back started back in 94 on the east coast of LA and then just like continues the story of how he's ended up in the biggest wrestling promotion of all time and I to describe the sound beyond of just what I said before so like the pop punk the alt rock the pop rock and blah 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 it just I those four genres together just shouldn't work it well they they do because there's a massive wave of white women that um, listen to it but like I'm looking at the tracklist now and there's nothing I can say about an individual song beyond the fact that it just sounds like a huge pop rock bop or it sounds like a huge alt rock like it slams like it's just the style of music that got driven so far into the ground by how many people were doing it badly given like a new lease on life it is fucking brilliant it is so just oh my god good and what was <laughs> it was a weird week for me so I reviewed um, Beautiful Life as a post on the socials because um, I had no internet I had no um, recording of capabilities at the time um, so yeah I did it all up put it online that was on... That was about midweek. So that would be a Wednesday or a Thursday. By the Sunday, after singing Mark Andrews' um, praises, by the Sunday, I was in Sheffield for Progress Chapter 99, and I was booing him and calling him a shithead um, as he played a heel against... He's with Eddie Dennis. He was against Primate. And then I know at some point I'm going to start watching NXT UK again now that I've got Wi-Fi back in my house. And I'm going to start cheering him because on NXT UK, he's the good boy. Wrestling is fucking weird, man. And music is also weird. And yeah, somehow in the midst of all of that, we've got ourselves a just stunning something rock album. Um, it is the debut album from Welsh Trio. It's a fucking trio. That production just... they. Oh, my God. That kind of production for a fucking trio is unreal, man. On a debut, too. Oh, my Jesus. They must have some favour somewhere. Debut album from Junior is called Beautiful Life. Find it if you like... If you were trying to, like, get into rock music, I think this can be the... the, the best way of like breaking through nowadays it would be yeah just do it do it do it now just do it do it um and that is my number 11 so just to speed through what we got so far uh number 20 come on aaron west and the roaring 20s uh with routine maintenance that'll fucking do uh number 19 frank carton the rattlesnakes with end the suffering Number 18, Mordial by Carbomb. 17, Fear Inoculum by Tool. Uh, number 16 is Hawkeyes with Advice. 15 is Dinosaur Pilot with Celebrity Mansions. 14 is Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds with Ghostine. Uh, 13 is... Uh, fucking hell. 
lost my words. Swallow the sun with one of shadow. My fucking hell. Why can't I do things? One of shadow is forced into the light. I'll try it again. Number 13 is swallow the sun with one of shadow is forced into the light. Uh, uh, number 12 is tiny moving parts with breathe. And then number 11 is beautiful life by junior. Junior. Um, and that will conclude part one of my albums of the year list. I hope this is somewhere in the realms of enjoyable so far. It's, it's been a while. I've got a lot of cobwebs to filter through. I also have had a headache and I haven't eaten that much today. So I might go for, I can't even go for a lie down, but I'm going to go somewhere food. So hopefully next week when you get part two, I'll be a little bit more rested, a little bit better. And it will be a gooder day for us all where you can listen to me wax lyrical about more bands. Um, as I said at the top of the show, Keep an eye out on my social medias at Desolation Pod. I usually don't, well, I try to avoid plugging social medias because I think it sounds silly, but at the moment you can get a rundown of my, excuse me, oh, I'm just dying again. I'm getting rid so far. You get a rundown of my EPs of the year. Um, this week, I, um, I, I, I can even tell you what's gone out already because, you know, it's, end of Wednesday I won't give you the ones that came out today but so far from 15 uh, number 15 is um, Poppy with Choke uh, 14 was Ray and Chasing South with their Graying in the Splooms Graying into Bloom split 13 was the Yara Man Other Half Grieving and Your Poetry split 12 was Wonder Lux with Earthen number 11 was Gold Bloom at Long Last number 10 was Aluth and Resentment and number 9 was The Wild Hearts with Diagnosis and yeah, the other two came out today, so I'm not telling you them. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not telling you them. You can go on my websites. Well, not my web, my websites, but you can go on my page that looks like my websites and find out for yourselves. Um, I think that's exhausted everything I have to say. Come back later. I I would hate to do this alone. Um, alone her. Bye.